For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, we have the final words of the Apostle Paul, who shows us how to go from painful circumstances to a bright outlook where peace and hope abound. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, Going From Pain to Praise. Alrighty, let's get started. Awesome, as you're grabbing your seat and your Bible, I will remind you that we... Left a couple dangling paragraphs there in chapter four. The very last epistle to Timothy, and it is the very last epistle that uh, beloved Apostle Paul will write. And we're going to take a look at his closing uh, remarks and the end of Paul's life. There's many valuable insights waiting for us. So let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your living word, your, your presence among us. We know the Bible doesn't have its origin in any man, but holy men of God were carried along and filled with the Holy Spirit and wrote these God-breathed words, words from heaven sent to heal our hearts and give us life and keep us on the straight and narrow path, Lord, and to transform us. So may your word have its way in our heart as we listen with the intent on putting it into practice. In Christ's name, amen. So as I mentioned, uh, we are coming to the end of Paul's uh, letter and the end of Paul's life as we close out here in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And of course, the letter was written from prison as Paul awaited sentencing there uh, in Rome. Uh, He knows that his execution is uh, near. And he's writing, Dear Timothy, a young man that he's poured into for over 15 years. They labored together and uh, have been a real, um, uh, Timothy's been a real blessing to Paul. And so he wanted to write to encourage him. Uh, mostly on how to deal with the false teachers there at the church that young Timothy was pastoring and left in charge to kind of get that church back on track. And so Tim, uh, Paul was writing pointers uh, to uh, Timothy on how to deal with uh, the false doctrine, the false teachers, and the chaos there, as well as how to stay strong in his own faith amidst all of the suffering that Christians are called to endure. Uh, and for the most part, for, uh, for a man facing the executioner's acts, you know, he's very upbeat. He's very upbeat. He said last time, the good fight I have fought, the race I have finished, the faith I have kept. And now it's time to worship God by laying down my life and letting every drop of my life be poured out. Uh, and he's speaking of his willingness to be martyred for the word of God, the gospel in Jesus Christ. And then he says, and then it'll be time to collect the reward. The Lord will hand me a crown and reward me, and I'll be in his presence, and I'll see Jesus. And, and so he sounds really upbeat, but here in the end, now you're going to notice something very rare. 
he's going to mention some private pain. He's going to talk about things that really have caused him great harm. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that it was no picnic to be incarcerated in the ancient world. And I've read some details about those dungeons. Man, it was hard. But I don't think that the physical suffering of Paul's uh, physical circumstances really was the worst thing for Paul. I think, you know, Paul racked up frequent flyer jail miles, you know. (laughs) So uh, did you know one-fifth of Paul's ministry, six years, uh, were spent behind bars? Uh, And so I think he's kind of learned, he tells the Philippians, I've learned how to be content with much and little, You know, I don't think it was um, being confined that was bringing him the the pain. Um, I really think that it was something more profound in his heart. The text that we are about to read together will lay it out for us. Uh, It goes deeper than a rough sleeping pallet there in the prison that gave him a backache. It was really about other issues that gave him heartache. And so what's amazing is that this guy has suffered like nobody else. I mean, there's Job and there's the Apostle Paul, really. But we're going to see how he talks about how he had this pain, disillusionment, despair, and how it gives way to hope and comfort and praise and, and such a wonderful outlook on life, even though. So the point of of reflecting this morning is is to figure out by reading these words and kind of piece things together, how did a guy who suffered so much pain and so many levels uh, keep a sweet spirit, be faithful to God, and at the end have such a positive uh, outlook in life? How did he go from great harm to great hope? That's the title, really, of the message. Uh, Now he's been talking to Timothy, And he's been encouraging him. He's saying, hey, man, it's time for me to depart this life. And then in verse 9, he goes on to say, and I'll start reading at verse 9. Timothy, do your best to come quickly to me. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus and we believe Tychicus will relieve Timothy so Timothy can go see Paul. Verse 13, when you come, bring the cloak, the the heavy coat that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metal worker, did me great, a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. And at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might fully be proclaimed among the Gentiles, uh, that the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. 
To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Then he says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, lifelong couple who planted churches with him uh, for many, many years. And the household of Anisphorus, Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so does Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. And so we finish up the book of 2 Timothy. Now, in these final words, we're going to go through and kind of piece together some things, a couple ideas which I think all Christians can relate to. Uh, First, experiencing real pain. And secondly, experiencing real hope. But as I said in the beginning, how do you go from real pain to real hope? Well, there's a couple hints. There's a lot of hints throughout 13 letters that Paul has written. You can go and you can preach a year on just figuring that out. But here in the text, if we just have the text to work with, how do you go from disillusionment to, to delight and, and from pain to praise and, and this, this beautiful uh, outcome here? Well, we're going to be talking about that. The first, then, uh, is some real pain. Uh, Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. <laughs> and uh, he kept that promise. That promise comes true to all of us. Uh, ministry is a team effort, isn't it? And not even Paul the Apostle could do much by himself. The business of ministry are people. People are the commodity, right? And where you have people, not in this congregation, but where you have people, you have problems. <laughs> I have put in there, not in the other people. Yeah, so where you, where you have other people, you have these problems. We've well, heard the limerick before, you know, I've used it. To dwell above with those we love, oh, the glory. But to dwell below with folks we know, well, that's a different story. <laughs> yes, indeed. And Paul the Apostle might say amen to that. Here's uh, John MacArthur's uh, remarks on this text. Paul didn't write this section as an afterthought. The Lord wanted the rest of the church to know about these people, the helpful and the hinderers, so that we could learn from their faithfulness and from their failures. So first, we have to learn from a failure here that caused Paul much pain. I have that first verse, a couple verses for you, starting at verse 9. Do your best to come to me, dear Timothy, for because here's the reason I want you to come is because Demas, he loved this world and left me high and dry, left me hanging. He's off. But Timothy, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is why I want you to be by my side while I'm alone and dying and hurting and suffering this pain is because this person ha- has fallen away from the gospel and the Lord and and has deserted and abandoned and forsaken me and my time in Nina has caused me a lot of pain. And boy, would it feel so much better to see somebody I did invest in, a success story, to come and just kind of put a Band-Aid where Demas put a hole. And so... Yeah, the heartache of Demas, 
Nothing is harder to bear than betrayal. Nothing. Uh, you know, Proverbs 18.14 puts it this way. The spirit of a man will sustain him in his sickness, but a broken spirit who can bear. Like, you know what? You know, you've heard me talk about the bone marrow transplant I went through 12 years ago. I was at UCSF for two months. Chemotherapy, radiation, and then a bone marrow transplant. And I'm, I'm, I'm completely cured. But, but I'll tell you what, there's, there have been things, and I said this to Barb just driving the other day, there have been things that are way more painful than the bone marrow transplant. And the bone marrow transplant was probably a 10 physically. But there are 11s and 12s, but they have nothing to do with the body. It's about inside. Like Proverbs says, you know, you can get through a sickness, but who can, who can handle when you're broken and in pain on the inside? Man, that's, that's a tough one, but this is what went on. Psalm 55 says it really good. If it, if it were an enemy, <laughs> I, could en- I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could manage. But it's you, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship in the house of God as we walked about amidst the worshipers. Psalm 55. David is talking about Ahithophel. And Ahithophel was one of his dearest friends. And when Absalom uh, got that big head of his and said, if I were king, you know, and that whole spiel and all of Israel went to Absalom and Absalom said, let's kill my father. Ahithophel said, yes, let's do it. So he was the motivation behind Psalm 55, Ahithophel. So there's, there's always seems to be a Demas, you know. Ju- Jesus had his Demas, you know, uh, Judas. And um, Moses had Korah and a whole bunch of other guys. I mean, uh, Demas happens in this world, and it's very painful. So he says, do your best. Make haste in the Greek. Uh, make haste, hurry up, I miss you like crazy. And by the way, the shipping lanes close in a month or two, so you got to make haste because I need to see you because Demas. Underline that. The power of one person's bad choices to live a self-centered life. I'm sure Demas wasn't thinking, I'm really going to give it to Paul right when he needs me the most. He just didn't care because Demases don't care. Demases are all about uh, themselves. Uh, what's sad about Demas, of course, is, is that he's in several lists in the New Testament of Bible heroes. And so in Colossians chapter 4, and you also see it in Philemon, uh, he's mentioned along with all the heroes. He's a co-worker. He's, he's part of the team. He, he preaches with them. He's invested in them and they're investing in his life. I mean, they laugh together, they eat together, they travel together, they live together. Uh, they, they fight arm in arm together, that spiritual battle. And then there's this guy who goes sideways. So he, the update starts with Demas. He says, just so you know, Demas has drifted off course and it's, and it's painful and I'd like to see you. Um, now, you think to leave the Apostle Paul, and by the way, The word deserted me is the strongest word in the Greek to to say forsaken. And the picture given is for a guy to be hanging on the edge of a cliff with his fingers hanging on for dear life. And the guy above, safe, 
sees him, hears him call for help, and goes and turns away. That's the word Demas, for Demas, what he's done. So, so it is a big deal um, to take note. You know what <laughs> I was saying? What was it? You know, Demas was, you know, family emergency. We can understand that. You know, he got called home. His dad died. His mom is alone. And, you know, no, that's not why Demas left Paul, the apostle, the greatest Christian who has ever lived in his time of need. Because he was in love with himself. He was in love with money. He was in love with, uh, in love with this world. Now, you know, John says, do not love this world. For if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Now, some new Christians will say, that confuses me because, you know, aren't we supposed to love the world? For God so loved the world. There's a negative connotation also with the world. You can just mean the world, the world. Or you can mean the world as it represents every hostile attitude, every vile rejection of truth and Christ. And let me quote somebody here. One pastor, his name is Ross Reinman, Calvary Chapel, The Rock, <clears throat> from his morning bulletin. Loving the world in the negative sense is when we adopt uh, the same values, attitudes, uh, of the sinful world. Uh, after, when we go after the sinful lusts and materialism that this Christ-rejecting world craves. Let me continue. Oh. Maybe Demas loved to go to parties or he was a ladies' man. You know, fast cars, money, all that jazz. He trades in his walk with God for the temporary pleasures of sin. Now, instead of being described as a hero of the faith, a dependable friend in the time of someone's need, someone his children would be proud of to read in the word of God, Demas is a disgrace. He leaves the greatest man of God who ever lived high and dry in his desperate last moments of life so he could pursue his own self-centered sinning. Does it get any sadder than that? I'll answer that question for you. No, <laughs> it doesn't. Let me show you a picture of Demeter. She's the goddess. She's the goddess of the harvest. And Demas is short for Demetrius, which means devoted to Demeter. <laughs> so scholars suggest he was born with the name Demetrius. He was doing Christian work. So he didn't like his godless pagan name, so he shortened it to the nickname of Demas, which can mean leader. But then the true voice came through, and he went back to the calling of his birth name, devoted to, and this is Demeter, some artist rendering. That's a bad trade. <laughs> you know what, what I really like, and thank you for her picture, as lovely as she is, she can go bye-bye. <laughs> thank you. Back to the verse. For Demas, because he has loved this world, King, shout out for King James. King James has because he has loved this present world. In the Greek it says, he has loved the now world. So NIV just said, now world, world, 
All right? So we get it. But here, here's what he's saying. He's saying, this is a guy who wants everything now. He cannot use self-control to say no. He, he's not good at delayed gratification. He wants to say, see, see, most Christians say no now, so the Lord will say yes then when it counts, right? Where the grace of God teaches us to say no. Titus chapter three, verses five-ish in there somewhere, or two, five. It's in the book of Titus, look it up. <laughs> the grace of God teaches us to say no now, so then the Lord will say yes, but he wanted to say yes now, but what he doesn't realize then, that will bring a no later in some ways. Now, well, was, uh, was the guy a backslidden Christian or had he never known the Lord? Well, John will suggest that he might never have known the Lord because he says there in his epistle, um, he says in chapter two, verse 19, they went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But that they left showed that they didn't belong to us. Now, he could be backsliding. So the longer it goes on, the less likely that he's backsliding, the more likely that they never really connected. And you say, how is that possible? He was like a Bible hero. When Jesus looked at the table and said, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you is going to betray me. Do you think all the heads went to Judas? Uh-uh. They all went, uh, what? Is it I? Is it I? Who is it? Peter, John, ask him. Are you kidding me? One of us? Who could it be? Nobody knew. Nobody knew. And nobody knew about Demas. So we're going to find out very shortly what his situation was. Now, before we move on here, uh, really quick, and really I could preach a whole sermon as I am doing on Demas. (laughs) How did that happen? I have a suggestion. Something went sour, an offense happened, and it wasn't handled biblically or very well. That's usually what happens. Somebody gets their toes stepped on, or as my wife says, their feelers get hurt, right? And then they don't handle it right. Everybody gets their feelers hurt. Everybody gets their toes stepped on, and worse, you got to handle it right. you got to get the antiseptic of the Holy Spirit going in there. you got to get the Word of God in there. you got to get down on your knees and confess some of that away. Or you're going to get bitter. You're going to isolate. You're going to turn into Demas who says, you know what, Paul? I don't need this. Then go check out the Greek-speaking ladies in Thessalonica. So one writer said, Handle personal offenses well so that Satan can't use them to do more than ruin your friendship, but wind up ruining your walk with God as well. All right, okay, so uh, a former friend named Demas and now a present enemy named Alexander caused the guy a lot of pain. So let's read about that, verses 14. He says, Alexander, the metal worker, he worked with copper. Yes, King James, thank you, but it was also more than that. Did me a great deal of harm. The Lord's going to repay him for what he's done. But the important thing is, bro, you know, stay away from him because, or watch out for him because he's 
uh, bad news. And so, to be fair, it wasn't just Turncoat Demas. It, it, uh, even Paul's genuine Christian friends uh, have a momentary lapse of courage uh, at his initial hearing, as we're going to talk about. Um, so let's, but let's first start with this guy, Alexander, because he's called out as somebody who caused great uh, harm. Now, Paul, in the previous verse, had been asking for Timothy to come through Troas and pick up a couple things for him. Well, it's in Troas, scholars say, that he was arrested. When Paul was, he wrote 1 Timothy, and he said, I'm on my way, of sorts. And he comes down through Troas, and he gets rearrested, and 2 Timothy comes to us from prison cell instead. But what happened in Troas? Oh, Alexander the coppersmith happened at Troas. He owns a little shop there. Maybe you've seen it. It's called Idols Are Us. <laughs> He's a metal worker. He's the one who makes the magic trinkets, the amulets, the charms, the statuettes of Demeter and Aphrodite and all those other big business items. Now... Paul comes to Troas. He's on his way to Ephesus to bail Timothy out of that bad uh, situation there. And he comes through Troas, and here's what Paul is saying, and, I, and, and I'll just quote from his epistles, so we know he was saying these things. He comes into, crowd, into the crowd, and he says, uh, idols are nothing. They're powerless. 1 Corinthians 8, 4. He looks at somebody and he says, idols are associated with demons and the devil and the occult. Verse Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20. Listen to me, people. Idolaters don't go to heaven. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. I implore you on Christ's behalf, turn from dead and useless idols to worship and serve the living God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. And who's in the crowd? Alexander. And what's worse? They start to believe the message. And they stop buying from idols are us. And guess what? Alexander's late with his chariot payment. All right? And his wife is not happy. Honey, I got to keep up with the ladies downtown, the spa, all right? What's going on? You're going to let that little Jewish preacher uh, tell everybody that idols are nothing? What kind of man am I married to? <laughs> Sorry, I just make things up in my head. I hear it. I, I hear voices. <laughs> and he goes, I'll show you. What kind of man you're married to? <laughs> he gets all the bad boys in town. He's got, he's got corrupt judges. He's, got, he's the guy who gets Paul the apostle arrested for the very last time. He's the guy who ultimately is the catalyst for the martyrdom of the greatest Christian who ever lived. This guy's ticked off. Okay, one writer put it this way. Nothing makes a soul more insanely desperate than the threat of losing your independence and your most enjoyable sins, not to mention your income. In Alexander's thinking, it's Paul 
and his gospel, or it's Alexander and his little idol factory. Well, he chose the latter, as all Alexander types do, and he wasn't going down without a fight. The great harm Alexander caused was such a major deal, all right, that it scares off even the genuine Bible heroes who were working at, with Paul at the time of Paul's arrest in Troas. Guess what? He has to leave his coat and his books. They arrest him at Troas, haul him off, and they're like, yeah, don't worry, Paul. Well, yeah, don't worry, don't worry. Roman citizens get to have a whole galley full of defense witnesses and character references and eyewitnesses and all of that. So in this corner, on that day, they arraign him. What are the charges? Sedition. He's claiming that there's another king besides Nero. Uh, uh, hating your family and not working with, uh, you know, all these lies. Well, where's the defense? Paul's thinking, Paul looks, 30 years. 30 years he's invested his life. He's written 13 New Testament books. He looks over at the gallery and he, he's thinking, hmm, maybe they're in the restroom. <laughs> <laughs> but they're late. There's a train. There's a problem in the subway. <laughs> Not one. Ouch. Paul's just real. He's saying, hey, I'm not a machine. <laughs> that gave him my whole life. When they said, is there anybody who can say anything that they're saying? They're making stuff up? Not a soul. Not a soul. Though on top of the great harm that Alexander has caused, there's the great pain of an empty gallery. So we've got a former friend and associate who decided to hang it all up and forsake Paul in his greatest time of need. We've got an enemy whose efforts look successful in ending Paul's ministry and life. And we've got Christian friends who uh, gave way to fear and intimidation and refused to stand up for Paul when his life was on the line. But that's not the whole story now. Now I want you to take all that pain and I want you to picture him in the prison in a dungeon but not like you would, you know, a modern-day prison, an ancient, terrible dungeon, like a nightmare, okay? I want you to keep that in mind, and then let me read to you his life struggles. He told the Corinthians about it because they were bragging about their other teachers who they liked better than Paul. So he said, I'm going to talk like a crazy man, but you forced me to it. So he said, you know what? I've been in jail more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. You keep in all the pain, just keep a list in your head. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with Roman rods. It's a form of corporal punishment, terrible. They just break your bones, batter you. Three times. I've been living through a stoning Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent the night and the day in the open sea. And he has one to go. This is before. <laughs> Romans, the last part of Acts, rather, 
that's one he didn't get to in Corinthians. I have been constantly on the move. I've had some dangerous incidents and with rivers, with bandits and robbers, from my own friends and family, from strangers, uh, problems in the city, uh, problems in the country, problems uh, with false brothers. I have labored and toiled day and night. I've gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone, often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches, all the churches that he started. He carries that. Now, how do you go from that to positive optimism, to a bright future, to joy, to peace, to contentment? How do you do that? Well, there's a couple hints here. First of all, I would say that Paul, and if you're taking notes, this would be step one. <laughs> Paul focuses on the, the assets, not on the liabilities. In other words, okay, life isn't about what he's lost or what he doesn't have. It's about what he's gained and what he does have. For every Demas, there's a hundred Timothys. For every Alexander, there's a Titus of Silas, Epaphroditus. There's a Luke. You see, Paul knows this. So he, he doesn't obsess Alexander and Demas. Alexander and Demas. Alexander and Demas. Let me just tell you about, let me just tell you something new. Demas and Alexander. <laughs> he swaps it around, you know, just so you don't get too bored. You know, the same story. Demas and Alexander, Demas and Alexander. How was your life? Demas and Alexander. What was it like, you know, serving the Lord? Let me tell you, Demas and Alexander. Some Christians, it's all they talk about. Demas and Alexander get mentioned one time. And then Paul says, you know what I like to do? I like to forget what lies behind and strain forward to the things ahead. There's forgiveness. There's placing uh, problems in God's hands and then moving forward. We'll stop with this Demas and Alexander story. It's over. It's happened. It is what it is. As much as I hate that saying, <laughs> everybody says it. It is what it is, and Paul knows. So. Damien Kyle, pastor of Calvary Chapel Modesto, put it this way to a room full of pastors. And he said, let me share one of my greatest life lessons with you men. He said, uh, when Calvary Chapel Modesto was at 100 people, I almost quit the ministry. Well, that would have been a shame because Calvary Chapel Modesto has got three or four or 5,000 people in it. He said, here's what I was doing. And the Holy Spirit showed me. He said, I got 100 people. There were 97, really happy, really growing, really excited. And there were three that were not. And I obsessed on the three. Every Sunday morning, I, I didn't see the 97. I saw, where are the three? Where are so-and-so? And I didn't hear, oh, you know, you're really feeding me with those sermons, or uh, the worship was so good, or I just love this church, and uh, all the wonderful stories. He said, I couldn't hear it because I would hear one, two, and three. And the one, two, and three almost imploded the entire ministry. 
He said, because my focus was there. And he said, that's how shepherds think. Shepherds go to that, go to, go to the one and the 99. He says, you better learn how to embrace the 97 and start counting your blessings instead of the links in the chains that bind you there in your prison. So number one, the right perspective, uh, looking more at the assets than the liabilities there for sure. And number two, he's a peacemaker. And I think peacemakers often move from pain to hope. Now, let me talk to you about uh, what I mean by that. Slide, uh, verse 11. Great story here. He goes, okay, I'm about to die. I'm in a lot of pain here. But you know what? Success story. Get me that success story, Mark. And bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. Are you kidding me? He's helpful to you? Mark? John Mark of Acts chapter 15 fame? Oh, let me remind you about this story. Let me put a map on. It'll remind you. Barnabas, who's a real encouraging guy, happened to have a nephew who's a young man of promise. And John Mark lived in the home and was raised in the home where the upper room was. He was around Bible heroes all the time, and the Holy Spirit's pouring out. He's right there, near the temple, just in the middle of it all. Barnabas is his uncle. So one day, in Acts chapter 13, the Holy Spirit sets Paul and Barnabas apart to go do the first missionary journey to reach the world, the very first time. Take the gospel out, guys. And Barnabas says, hey, I got just the guy, John Mark, Mark my nephew. And Paul said, yeah, good, let's do this. So they left the sending church, and this church evangelized the entire world, by the way. A bunch of Gentiles with the Holy Spirit, and uh, they took off, the three of them. John Mark was the guy who they really depended on to do all the stuff that they didn't have time to do and was a burden so that they could evangelize the world. So it was really interesting on Cyprus. They met that sorcerer, and God uh, brought down judgment, and Elimus was blind, and uh, poor John Mark, you know? <laughs> He'd never seen anything like it, apparently. So they get here, and things. Paul gets sick, and things start heating up, and the green line is John Mark going home to mom. So he said, you know what, guys? You cook your own food. I know, Paul, you're sick. I got to go. I know you need encouragement. Encourage yourselves, you guys. You, you, you know, set up and tear down by yourselves all the errands that you need to do and all the things that you gave me to do. Now you guys have to do it. Why? Because I want to go home to my mom. All right? I'm not cut out for this. See ya. A year and a half go by. They do their thing alone. They go back. It's time for the second missionary journey, Acts 15. Paul says, hey, where's, uh, let's go, Barnabas. Let's go check on all the churches that we planted and strengthen them. That's the second missionary journey. And Barnabas says, okay, let's give, Bar let's give John Mark a second chance. And Paul says, over my dead body. <laughs> Paul says, it's not wise, Barnabas. This is the gospel, Barnabas. This is world missions, Barnabas. We're writing scripture, Barnabas. This is important. We can't have that. We cannot take the chance again. They had such a sharp dispute. The two men stopped talking, and they're never heard of. Barnabas has never heard working again from that point on. 
Scholars say, hey, Paul was probably in the right, but not without you know, his share of having not have handled it as best as he could because the story follows Paul. And I believe he brings Silas instead. And Barnabas takes Mark and goes home where Barnabas is from, Cyprus. So they go sailing that way and the second missionary journey goes that way. Thank you for the slide you can put uh, back, John Mark. Well, what happened? Well, years later, you start to see John Mark's name in the Bible heroes list again. You know what? He grew up. He softened his heart. He humbled himself. And now, what does Paul want? He wants to see a success story at the end of his life. He's a peacemaker. He doesn't want to die just thinking about irreconcilable differences. He wants somebody whose relationship had been soured and we saw the grace of God and brought him back and he comes in and hugs and tears and reminds him, you know, hey, Paul, I'm sorry. Probably what happened. Hey, Paul, I'm sorry for bailing out on you. I was a, I was a young man. I had a lot of growing up to do. Thank you for doing that. That was probably smart. Um, and please forgive me. And then Paul, hey, Mark, listen, I'm sorry for being so dogmatic. You know, I'm the apostle Paul. You know, <laughs> he wouldn't say that. And, uh, you know, I was so sharp with your uncle, man. I accept your apology if you accept mine. You know, go get John Mark. A lesser man would have said, oh, you want me now? Oh, yeah. I remember in Acts 15, wanting to go with all my heart. Give a guy a second chance, okay, Paul? And what was your answer? No, absolutely not, over my dead body. Well, you know what? It's going to be your dead body soon, isn't it? And you're not going to have the pleasure of my company. Uh, Oh, you're quiet. You know why? Because you know that kind of attitude. There are people out there like that. But he's bigger than that, and Paul is bigger than that. So Christian love prevails. And and one writer said this, if I can find it. The fewer dislocated relationships we have at the end of our lives will avoid the extra angst and help lighten the transition to heaven. In other words, are you the one who doesn't show up at the deathbed unreconciled to make a burden heavier on that person who's dying? Or are you the one who shows up and eats humble pie reconciles, enlightens the load of someone facing death? Or, think of it this way, are you the one on the deathbed saying, when someone tells you, hey, John Mark's here. Don't want to see him. John Mark's here, man. Acts 15 is over, man. Don't care. He left us. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the guy who, who goes to a deathbed and brings peace, lightens the burden. Amen? Amen. So pain gives way to hope because Paul focuses on his assets, not his liabilities. And secondly, uh, peacemaking uh, people uh, often pave the way to hope. You know, the more reconciliations we have, the less pain. And then uh, moving quickly now, verse 16. Love this. 
At my first defense, like I told you, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. Here's how you go from pain to praise. Forgiveness, one word, so easy, so hard. Because the Lord has forgiven me a lifetime of sinning. Where do I get off holding something against somebody else? If I expect all my sins, past, present, and future, to be just wiped out because I said, I'm sorry, I trusted Jesus. And he wipes out a lifetime of sinning. And so you're going to say, but I'm going to hold it against you guys who in the face of your own mortality and Nero and Alexander's threats, you caved in a little bit. He forgives. You do know, Jesus said, in case you want to be forgiven, you better forgive. (laughs) And you do know that James, half-brother to our Savior, wrote, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Those are strong words. Here's what Paul wrote to the Colossians. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone who didn't make it to the gallery, forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together. Love keeps no record of wrongs. And guess whose pen that came from? Paul's. And guess who's not keeping a record of wrong? May, may God not hold it against them. It's the same spirit of Jesus as they're nailing him to the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't get it. They don't get it. Stephen had that same spirit. Lord, don't hold this sin uh, to their account. That's the spirit of our father. Hey, listen, <laughs> you don't want to die a bitter old person, angry and all, bound up. Paul goes from terrible pain and terrible disloyalty and terrible betrayal to, hey, I forgive. I forgive. Then Alexander, I'll love this one, verse 14. What do you do with the Alexanders, okay? He did the greatest harm. I'm going to die because of this knucklehead. He says, it's in the Lord's hands. He remembers writing in Romans chapter 12, do not repay evil with evil, but rather vengeance is mine, says the Lord. The Lord says, hey, Alexander is my business. Your Alexander, your Demas is his business. It's his concern. You were bought and paid for with a price. He owns you. He's got the owner's manual for you. He's got the, what's that called? The pink slip. <laughs> He's got the pink slip on your life and all your concerns are his concerns. It is not your right to deal with Alexander. He says, that's the Lord. The Lord will deal with him more creatively and more thoroughly and more wonderfully than I could ever possibly do. So I give Alexander and the pain that Alexander caused me and my situation that's come about because of Alexander, I put it all with the Lord. That's what you do. That's how you go from devastation to delight, from woe is me to worship the Lord. Give it. To God and stop taking it back so much. You know, you're like, I did give it to God. And then what? The next day, you know, it's back. 
Nobody in here, but I know a lot of people out there. <laughs> they do stuff like that. It's amazing. So give it over to God. Vengeance belongs to him. I'm looking for this one quote that really touched me. When your greatest enemy who's caused you the greatest harm is not your business, you have peace, you have hope, and you have more space in your heart for the important things in life. Now, number five, how to go from pain to praise and hope and all of that good stuff. Uh, often people overlook the importance of contentment, and that is verse 13. Paul's a big proponent of contentment. He says, there's great gain with contentment. Just knowing the grace of God and knowing, hey, I may have much, I may have little, but through Christ I can do all things. I've learned to be content. He's a content person. So at the end of his life, he says, you know what? I'm facing the executioner's axe. Here's what I want. A couple dear friends. I want my warm coat and my Bible. And I'm good. Oh, see, when, when your happiness and your concerns are tied up in so many things in this life for your happiness and your joy. It's harder, especially at the end. But when you travel light and, and you just say, hey, you know what? I'm about to die. Hey, can a couple of you guys come sit with me and bring, my, bring me a jacket and don't forget the Bible. The word in the Greek, there's biblia. Bring the books. These are Old Testament scrolls. These are Isaiah and the Psalms and, and, and the book of Moses. He's got those on animal skins and parchments and he's going to be reading. He says, give me my jacket and my Bible. Bring Timothy and Mark and I'm good. <laughs> That's awesome. Contentment. Just contentment. That's so important. And then finally, the big ticket item and then we're done. Pain gives way to hope when you've got unwavering faith. Now, here, here it is, starting at verse 17. Check this attitude out. Keep all the pain and suffering in the back of your mind. Here's his attitude about life. But the Lord stood at my side. He gave me great strength. So, so that threw me the message, something good always comes from my suffering, which helps me. So, so through me, the message, the gospel was proclaimed. And everybody in the courtroom, in the region, they heard the gospel. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth, which means Nero could have just said, kill the guy. But instead, he said, let's buy him and give him some time. Give him some time to write 2 Timothy. That's what happened with the lion's mouth. He got a chance to write 2 Timothy and to see Timothy and to finish up because he was about to get killed right then and there. But he said, yeah, the Lord stopped that from happening. And by the way, my whole life has been one big circus act of my head being stuck in some lion and having the Holy Spirit yank my head out of the lion. Now, I mean, I'm kind of used to this. Uh, the, Lord will, <laughs> the Lord will, and look at this attitude in your face, devil. This is what I say. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. How do you deal with a guy like that? If you're the devil, what do you do? 
You try drowning him, you try, you try killing him, you try slandering him, you try uh, getting all his friends to leave him high and dry, you get Alexander all revved up, you just, you just crush him for 30 years. And out comes this, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. Could to him be glory. Where's the, you know, the Lord has put me through a lot. Okay, I've been through a lot. And where's the, uh, you know, the accusations? Where's the doubting? You know, I've got a lot of cause to doubt. Okay, why haven't you been in church for a while? I've gone through a lot. Okay, I've gone through a lot. Some people out there, they're three-strike Christians. God, you get three strikes, depending on the seriousness of the strike. might be less. One, two, three. I'm done. What kind of God? You know what he did? He took my fill-in-the-blank, or he allowed fill in the blank. What are you going to say when Paul gets up and he says, oh man, God was good. He's so faithful. He always used things. He brought, we don't just glory in our sufferings, but we glory, we don't just glory in our uh, blessings and our praise, but we glory in our sufferings. And God has been faithful to me. What do you say to that? What do you say to a guy like Job who suffered more than anybody in this room who says, though he kill me, though he take out a knife and slay me, yet will I trust him. And then the wife is saying, you still holding on to your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? <laughs> it's a really encouraging woman. <laughs> they met on eHarmony. I didn't want to tell you, but... So Job says, woman, woman, you're talking like a silly woman. He goes, shall we not accept the hard things from God as well as the good stuff? Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That's the kind of faith that lives in the apostle Paul. That's the kind of faith that'll take pain and suffering and hardship and, and walk it over and, and, and see sunshine and, and bright optimism and hope in a future. And he goes, you know what? He is going to save me from every evil attack. There's an executioner in the next room sharpening his blade. And he's going to wipe that ax. He's going to hand me my head. And then the Lord Jesus is going to hand me my crown. And I'm going to put it on the head that no human sword can ever touch the real person. That Jesus said, hey, listen, don't be afraid about those who can kill the body. And then after that, what can they do? He says, but rather, I'll tell you who to feel. Fear, rather. Fear the one who, after the body is dead, has the power to send you to hell. Fear him. Because you remain after the head's whacked off. You're, you're there like, what, what just happened? Jesus said, they're going to kill some of you. I wrote this down. Luke 21, verse 18. He said, don't worry, you guys. They're going to kill some of you. They're going to lop off your head. And then he says, but don't worry. Not a hair on your head will be harmed. Paul knows those truths. So he says, swing away because you're going to send me into the presence where I'm going to collect my reward. 
faith. Faith. I'm trying to think of how it starts. The evidence, not the evidence. Faith is the conviction of things unseen. The evidence of things hoped for. That's what faith will do for you. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, I'm so glad that Jesus said regarding faith, oh, we we just needed a little pinchful. (laughs) And that with that little bit of mustard seed faith, we could do great things. So, Father, help us to follow the example of the Apostle Paul here and move from our despair and our pain and our trouble and our self-centered perspective to the kingdom of God, to how you're using these things and how you want to humble us and call on your name and repent of our sins and to live for others. God, heal our hearts so that we can take our disappointment and see you take it to delight. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.